lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show. Live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre, Totters, and, and all of you at 888-900-3393. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the program. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. That's D-E-A-C-E. Over on Parlor at Steve Dace. And check out our new YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Steve Dace as well. Also, you can check out my new book, A Nefarious Carol. It is releasing on December the 15th, so just about a month from now. Pre-orders are going on as we speak at Amazon.com. Get your copy today. It is the novella sequel to my 2016 book, A Nefarious Plot, which we will be turning into a movie next year. So if you want to know who's responsible for everything you're reading about right now, That's the book for you. Go to Amazon.com. Get your pre-order today. You can learn more about the book there. Read some of the endorsements for the book as well. Releasing nationwide on December the 15th. All right, coming up today here on the show, our old friend Jesse Kelly will be joining us to give us his observations on what's going on right now. Next hour, I mentioned a nefarious plot. We are going to continue our revisiting of that book with Theology Thursday coming up next week or next hour. Uh, You can tell where my mind is at because I'm on vacation next week. Also next hour, we're going to take a a little respite from everything going on. And we're going to play our game of three non-political questions just to take a break. And that that, now you've been warned Uh, to get those ready. Yeah. Just come up with your lame Mount Rushmore questions. You get get at least three of those somewhere in the hopper, don't you? Sure. (laughs) Yes. I'm sure that you do. But before we get to all of that, here's something Aaron's actually good at. A rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by the Gettysburg Address 2020 edition. Ohio Republican Governor Mike DeWine announced he's reissuing Ohio's mask mandate, including provisions that every single business in the state must post face coverings are required. And if they don't, they could be closed down by the state. In addition, DeWine says if the spread of coronavirus doesn't slow in his state in the next week, he'll be closing all bars and restaurants in the state. My fellow Ohioans, DeWine says, few times in our lives we will ever be able to do something or refrain from doing something that will or can save a life. This is one of those rare times. Throughout history, each generation has faced challenges. Americans have been asked to lay down their lives so that our nation might live. Today, we all must do something far less dramatic. Wear a mask so that your friends, neighbors, and family members might live. All of our living generations are facing the same challenges at the same time. Ohioans have not faced such a collective challenge in 100 years, and whether you are 5, 15, 25, 50, or 80 years old, you are facing this same challenge and have the same opportunities. Ohio has had a face mask mandate since July, and DeWine joins a bevy of other states, both Republican and Democrat governors, reissuing mask orders despite having them in place for long periods of time. I might even go so far as to say that this face mask is more guaranteed to protect me against COVID 
that when I take a COVID vaccine. The latest best guess estimate of the infection fatality ratio for COVID-19 by the CDC is about 0.5% for those under the age of 70. For those of you over the age of 75, don't worry, Joe Biden's new coronavirus task force member, Ezekiel Emanuel, thinks it's immoral for anyone to live beyond that age anyway. Speaking of the Biden coronavirus task force, Dr. Michael Osterholm thinks the entire country should lock down. We could pay for a package right now to cover the all of the wages, lost wages for individual workers, for losses to small companies, to medium-sized companies, for cities, states, county governments. We could do all of that. If we did that, then we could lock down for four to six weeks. And if we did that, we could drive the numbers down. The event ticketing giant Ticketmaster tells Billboard magazine they plan to only allow people to buy tickets to concerts if they've tested negative for coronavirus or had the coronavirus vaccine when that comes available. Learning Latin today, today's phrase is, how do you spell 666? In other news, Axios says President Trump plans to launch a digital media empire to take on Fox News. Trump, the scoop says, is rightfully enraged about Fox's handling of election night and their premature call of Arizona for Joe Biden. Jeffrey Tubin is out at The New Yorker after masturbating in front of female colleagues during a Zoom call last month. And finally, something that doesn't suck. A soldier serving in Afghanistan for four months returned home recently and surprised his son with the help of the police. Who am I? And that's what happened while we were away. Boy, that is a great video, Aaron. Thank you for sharing that. Feel bad for Jeffrey Tube, and he's really getting jerked around right now. Nice. <laughs> I just want all of us to know we're really going to let it hang out. I mean, our effort hang out on the field today. I mean, basically, they just told him over the New Yorker. Just, I mean, I mean, beat it, right? Yeah. And then you look at all these allegations of voter fraud. You can't just really dangle something like that out there, can you? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. No, I'm not. Aaron's Montage brought to you by Rough Greens. We do so many good things for our pets. Double entendres. Uh, we take them uh, to the groomer. Uh, we take them for walks, rides. We cuddle with them. Uh, we feed them, but we got to make sure they're getting the proper nutrition as well. That's why you need Rough Greens Vitasmart. It is the supplement for your dog. I mean, we need supplements. That's why it's one of the largest sections in every grocery store today because all the good stuff, the vitamins, minerals, nutrients, etc., stripped out of our food so that it will last for a long time on shelves across the fruited plain. Same thing goes for our pets' food. It's often dead as a doornail when it leaves the factory, but thankfully, Rough Greens puts the good stuff back in. It's a good-tasting powder that you mix in with the food your dog loves, and they're going to love it even more, and then they're going to feel even better because what's missing goes back into their diet. And right now, you can see, if you don't see 
a difference, an improvement in your dog in two weeks or less when you take the Rough Greens Jumpstart Bag for just $14.95. Just $14.95 when you go to roughgreens.com slash blaze. That's R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com slash blaze. All right, coming up in the overtime today, I have um, some information that I'm going to be sharing from a very good friend of mine. Someone I know very well personally. Someone my family knows well personally. He is on the ground uh, for the Trump campaign in Pennsylvania, or has been. And he has written out for me, I'm going I'm to keep his identity a secret because of some of the other stuff that he's going to share in the note that I'm going to be talking about as well. Um, but he's going to share for us what he has actually seen on the ground in Pennsylvania. And what has happened to people like him and others that are doing some of this poll watching right now and are kind of known for doing so. We're going to go through that today in the overtime. Uh, you don't want to miss it. Uh, that is blazetv.com slash dace is where you can go. We're going to record that right after the show today. We can't do it in real time because of other uh, network commitments. So we stick around after the program. We record that in real time, and then it gets posted at the interwebs convenience, depending on the upload speed of the day. All right, blazetv.com slash dace is where you'll be able to go to watch that today. If you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber, you can go there, use the promo code Steve, get our biggest discount ever right now at blazetv.com slash dace promo code steve all right let's get to the rest of what is in aaron's montage uh, i want to start with dr michael osterholm so i first heard his name last march and we were being told by the world health organization all winter long there isn't human spread of coronavirus dr anthony fauci was telling us all winter long people don't need to be wearing masks americans don't have to be concerned about coronavirus right we've we've shared all those links we played all that audio right yes. we can cite it for you again if you would like okay because you know i've I, I keep files you know that that's why i i know what i'm about to tell you because i keep files and um i heard his name for the first time because a, a large batch of you urged me to listen to his appearance on the Joe Rogan podcast last winter talking about coronavirus. And then maybe I wasn't taking it seriously enough. So I did. I listened to the entire show. And we came back and uh, used that information that he had given, what he knew about it, and put it together for our very the very first coronavirus video we did, actually was based off of what we what we gleaned from this Joe Rogan podcast with Dr. Michael Osterholm. <clears throat> Dr. Michael Osterholm is at the University of Minnesota. He has served in five different presidential administrations, including briefly for the current one during, I think, the transition from Obama to uh, Donald Trump. He is currently out there advocating that America shut down again this winter for four to six weeks. And since Joe Biden, at the earliest, if he won this election, could not take office until January the 20th, you're talking about if Joe Biden were to listen to him, that is, if 
he knows what a Michael Osterholm actually is. Um, that would be sometime between late January uh, through February, essentially the winter time. In the states that would comply, I think several states would not comply. Uh, and there's really no power to declare a national lockdown. You, you'd have to declare some form of martial law. You don't really have that power on a federal level. Does that usually stop them? No, which is why you'd see a bunch of states comply, and there would be several that would not. Several states would not comply, okay? Um, and start with places of, with Republicans who ever want to have any hope of ever being the party's nominee for president or VP that are current governors. Start with those states. They would not comply, okay? Now, let me tell you the rest of the story, though, about Dr. Michael Osterholm. And I just shared the link on Twitter. One of the very first pushbacks I ever read to locking the country down was a column written in the Washington Post on March 21st. The the first one I read was actually written in the New York Times by a a Dr. Katz at Yale University. The second one I read was dated March the 21st by Dr. Michael Osterholm. Same guy. In the pages of the Washington Post, titled, and I quote, A national lockdown is no cure. That was the name of the column. He co-wrote the piece and proceeded to discuss why lockdowns simply just aren't feasible. What they do to our liberties, what they do to the economy, this is just not a feasible policy. And he published this on March the 21st, which means he published it within the first week after the Trump administration initiated the guidelines of 15 days to slow the spread, which then individual states used to declare some form of lockdown. Many of them did. Several did not. Our state, for example, never put in any kind of formal shelter-in-place order. But most did, for a limited period of time at least. Same guy. Same exact guy. Now, I know what if he were here today, I know what he would say to me to push back against me pointing out his double-mindedness. He would say, Steve, I wrote that almost nine months ago or almost eight months ago, and there was no therapeutic or vaccine on the horizon. And so we were looking at having to live with this for a long period of time. And we were going to have to figure out how to live our lives because the cure can't be worse than the disease. I'm sure that's what he would say if he were here. Unless he's just a complete and total piece of human debris. I'm going to give him, I'm going to love my neighbor as I love myself, and I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's not. Because on the surface, the political hackery here looks pretty damning, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love my neighbor as I love myself. I, I'd want to be given the benefit of the doubt, particularly if I wasn't in a place to defend myself. I'd want that. So I'm going to grant that to Dr. Osterholm. 
And if he were here, I'm pretty confident his pushback on me for pointing out his duplicity here would be circumstances have changed. I was arguing in March against a long-term lockdown. We can't do that. We have to learn to live with these things. We can't shut our way of life down. We look at the human toll on the other side of denying health care, mental health, uh, starvation, etc. But now I'm just talking about something in the short term until we can distribute the vaccines. I'm guessing that's what he would say. Pretty confident in that, in fact. And here's how I would counter that. Why are you confident in the vaccines? Have you taken them? Where in the world have we had a successful vaccination program ever for a coronavirus? I was told last year, as were millions and millions of Americans, 300, millions of, uh, 300 million Americans, we were told last year, we just needed to do this for 15 days to slow the spread. And then it became, uh, or to flatten the curve. And then it became 30 days to slow the spread. And then it just became just locked down until forever. No benchmarks. Now you're telling me it's four to six weeks until we can vaccinate. Why would I trust you that that benchmark will be realized when none of the other ones ever were? None of the other ones ever were. How do I know four to six weeks until we can vaccinate doesn't become four to six months, four to six years? And we're sending out Thanksgiving dinner guidelines for people right now. All for a virus, by the way, that in all but the oldest age group has a 98% or higher case recovery rate. And that's not even counting the infection fatality rate that Aaron cited. So you'll excuse me if I don't take it at face value. I mean, Pfizer says they have a vaccine that works. How did they just find this out a week after 48 hours after the networks called the election for Joe Biden? They didn't know it on Friday, November 6th, Thursday, November 5th, the 4th, the 3rd. They just happened to find out Monday after the election was called over the weekend. Why would I take anything you people say at face value at all? Not to mention, sir, you wrote on March 21st that lockdowns are no cure for coronavirus. And then for the rest of the year, you were nowhere to be found while we were pushing back on lockdowns. Nowhere to be found. So why would I trust you? Which benchmark for me giving up my freedom for a virus that has a slightly higher than flu infection fatality rate? In my age group, it has a 99.84 recovery case recovery rate. Which of the benchmarks that I have given up and millions of Americans have given up over the last eight months in order to slow the spread, 
flatten the curve. Which of these benchmarks has been honored by government? Where other than the state of Florida and a few other places? I mean, Georgia was the first state without a Supreme Court order to reopen. The governor down there, though, has still kept their emergency order in place. There has been one state in this union that has canceled their order and put everything back to where it was beforehand. Florida, that I'm aware of anyway. That's Florida. So why would I trust your benchmarks on any of this? Do you, do you know why I trust them on any of this? Why I would take their word for it on anything? When, when, when have they come through on any of this? We've done everything they've asked us to do. And what have they returned with? Nothing. Let's go to their mask mandates. You have a Republican governor there in Ohio, the aptly named Mike DeWine, still out there irradiating. I can't wait to see what the birth rate is in Ohio next year. Because I got to imagine... As Aaron said, that portion of his montage was brought to you by Cialis. That, that's got to be a radiating sperm counts and T levels across the fruited plain. Lindsey Graham called and said, dude, get, grow a pair. So in Ohio, you've had a mask mandate of some sort for at least 112 days. 112 days. In Maryland, the Republican governor there is threatening th- shutdowns and lockdowns again. They've had some form of a mask mandate in place. And when I say some form, I mean everywhere you go, basically. Because in Maryland, it's been indoors since April. But it's been everywhere you go in, in, in Maryland for 106 days. In New York State, where you have Andrew Cuomo, who apparently and sadly killed all those nursing home patients to sacrifice them uh, to make them a, 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 uh, an experiment in human sacrifice, to quote the Atlantic, to stop the, th- the spread of coronavirus. He apparently killed all those old people for nothing. Because it's back again in the state of New York. They have been under some form of mask mandate for 128 days. What were the masks doing this entire time? That's a third of a year if not or more, build up in each one of these states with massive compliance. So with massive compliance and months of built up compliance, they were not able to preemptively push back on the virus in any substantive way. And now you're telling me that they're going to do it retroactively in real time? That's not how virology and science works. And you know this, that at least I hope you would. I hope you're actually lying to me. That would, that would make me feel better. I can, at least, you know, I can handle, I, I know what to do against the satanic. I don't know what to do against this level of dumb. I don't, I don't know what to do with that. So I, my prayer is, you're, I hope you're all lying. I'm praying you are. That is a far better option than this level of stupidity. And here's why. If you're lying to me, it's satanic. If you're this dumb, I ain't afraid of the devil. But if it's th- if you're just this dumb, now that's someone I'm afraid of. That's providence. That's Romans 1. That's judgment. You've just been given over. That's Babel. You've been served. Now I'm afraid. If it's satanic, I ain't afraid. My God lives. 
The truth is its own reward. And what are you going to do? Ban me, embarrass me, shun me, kill me? So what? I'll join a long line of men that you've done this to in the past. It's a proud legacy. But if you're this dumb, then I'm afraid. Because it can be a dreadful thing to fall into the hand of the Lord like that. Now I'm afraid if you're this dumb. So please be lying to me. Please. Please just be a hack. But if you're this bad at this, then we're really in trouble as a people. That, that's when you're on your last legs. Because there isn't a fight happening. It's just a, a, a spanking is occurring. This is a disciplinary measure. There's like not an argument to be had because you can't win an argument that can't be fought. An argument isn't taking place. A debate isn't happening. Daddy took his belt off and looked at you and said, this is going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me. We're behind the woodshed then. So why didn't these masks work for over a hundred days of compliant buildup in each of these places? Where is your settled science opposite the real-time data? Maybe there's a, I don't know, maybe, just maybe there is a reason we have not been wearing masks every cold and flu season our entire lives. Maybe. And maybe, stick with me here, as we're learning in Maryland and Ohio and New York, Maybe, maybe it's because the masks don't work. And if as Robert Redfield, the director of the C of the CDC says in his testimony to Congress, that the masks work better, they'll protect him even more than the vaccine. Boy, that doesn't bode well, Dr. Osterholm, for those vaccines that you want us to shut down and wait for deliverance from on high, does it? Because the masks aren't working in Ohio, and they're not working not working in New York, which which we were told crushed the curve. Dr. Fauci said was a model for the country. I'm sure I'm sure Governor Cuomo, back from his publicity tour, is shocked to learn that he didn't defeat coronavirus after all. So no, Dr. Osterholm. I don't trust you. I don't believe you. I don't even know if you believe what you're saying. And I don't care enough to find out. I'm going to defeat you. Because either you have wantonly refused to engage in any form of self-awareness or critical thinking whatsoever, or your bed intruder dumb and probably voted in Fulton County, Georgia last week. Too dumb to live. Too dumb to know how to mail in a ballot before the actual date it was supposed to be there. Gentlemen, you have any thoughts on this? Well, uh, just today, perfect pairing with what you're saying. Got a uh, letter from uh, my diocesan bishop. It basically went full Osterholm, mask mandate extended to February 21st, explicitly said that 
uh, I'm paraphrasing, but your belief that masks don't work are uh, not do not uh, invalidate uh, this uh, command that they be worn. So you call that dumb, you call that demonic. Uh, it is the Kool-Aid that's being sipped, if not flat out drink from a fire hose. Everywhere, kids are being told to train in high-intensity sports with them on. This is what full-blown idolatry looks like. Indeed it is. And we have to remind ourselves as well, and, and there are spectrums of ideologies and attitudes towards this entire thing. Um, at least 71 to 73 million people voted for voted for Donald Trump. You have to think in that somewhere. They at least saw a little bit of he's the candidate of reopening. He's the candidate of sanity. So we have to remind ourselves this. But here's here's the thing as well. If it turns out that Joe Biden actually uh, was elected as president, if you ever see any outspoken Joe Biden supporter complaining about a national lockdown or complaining about a lockdown, nope, don't let them get away with that. Don't let them get away with their idolatry. They might blink and reprogram and go back to the talking points, but don't let them get away with it. We'll come back. Our old pal Jesse Kelly will be joining us here at the bottom of the hour, and we'll find out what he thinks about everything going on when we return here on Blaze TV radio and podcast next. Yeah, losing your hair is no fun, so let's talk about options. You can go to your doctor for a hair loss treatment, get a prescription maybe, then visit the pharmacy, try not to go broke while you're trying to avoid going bald, or there's door number two, uh, and that is you can go to Keeps from the comfort of your own home. You'll get the same doctor-recommended, FDA-approved hair loss treatment, but Keeps offers the generic versions for about half the cost. And another thing you're going to love is that aforementioned convenience. It's all online. Just answer a few questions, snap a few pics of your hair, and a licensed doctor will review your info and recommend the right hair loss treatment for you that's shipped directly to your door. So convenience, the generic versions that are cheaper. How about a big discount again on top of that to get you started? Half off your first order right now when you go to keeps.com slash grow k-e-e-p-s for keeps.com slash grow half off your first order at keeps.com slash grow let's bring in our old friend fellow talk show host jesse kelly good to see you again brother how are you i'm i'm doing well steve i'm fascinated by by all of this right now election fraud no election fraud should we move on should we not move on i find the whole thing to be fascinating and overall generally terrible for america but still fascinating nonetheless indeed i mean i mean 75 car pileups are terrible for the people involved but you make sure to take a gander at it nevertheless right and then jump on your phone and risk another pileup by texting your loved ones about it (laughs) exactly so let's get into the the voter fraud thing let's start there because to me i think what's frustrating people in you and i's business is that we are seeing this as an extension of the presidential campaign. And so we don't really know what to say 
because we don't know what the talking points are. We don't even know what we're debating. We don't know what the evidence is. When in reality, it's not an extension of the campaign. It's an investigation. I mean, that's all it is. That, and, and I mean, Rudy Giuliani today saying that they have filed a, the kinds of affidavits of people using this Dominion software to alter the election. Those are the sorts of things that Rudy, Harmeet Dillon, Jenna Ellis, the president's attorneys, if these things are, are just complete fraud, they're getting disbarred. You go into a court of law and, and, and put this in, a, in, a, in a, an affidavit and swear it before the court, you can be wrong about something. But if you're alleging something this, this fraudulent, you're facing perjury. And so to me, I think you just let the process play itself out and either people have the evidence they claim or they don't. And we find out in the courts. Well, that's the problem, Steve. Everybody, uh, look, myself included, I'm not pointing fingers, wants to know what's going to happen now. So we're all trying to seek out information. I, I just find it to be absolutely ridiculous, these people who are saying, well, there was no fraud at all. There was nothing. Like you just pointed out, it's more than just Rudy Giuliani. We have many, I, I don't even know how many we're up to now, sworn affidavits. People realize that's a legal document. You're going to jail if you lie on that thing, normal people do not risk going to jail for a presidential election. So we know, I, beyond a shadow of a doubt, we know there was some level of fraud in this election as there is in every election. What we don't know is how widespread it was. Did it cost Donald Trump another four years in office? And is there enough to overturn it? We don't know any of that stuff. And the problem is time is short. They got to certify this election in a little more than a month right now. And you have, what, five states now that are under dispute? They're doing hand recounts in Georgia. It's just total chaos. And like I said, it's horrible for America, but it was always inevitable anyway. The four-year Democrat, he's not my president, hissy fit, impeaching him, Russian collusion. There was always going to be an answer to this. And now the right is going to think, if Joe Biden wins, the right's going to think for four years he's not legitimate. I'm going to say he's not legitimate for four years because we're both going to play that game now. People didn't consider George W. Bush, half the country didn't think he was legitimate until 9-11. That changed it. But prior, but on September 10th, 2001, half the country didn't think George W. Bush was legitimate because they never really got to a final count in Florida. They got the Supreme Court to order them to stop the hanging chads and examinations of people's motivations on provisional ballots and the casting out of military ballots that they didn't like and just certify that election. I think what's likely going to happen here is the odds are overwhelming. The Supreme Court's already involved, for example, with their order in Pennsylvania last week. There's going to be some kind of definitive Supreme Court ruling on this. And I think, especially given that if it goes against Trump, Clarence Thomas is probably writing the minority opinion. There's going to be the Supreme Court going on the record about abnormalities, troubling irregularities that are oh, that that show the the efficacy of mail-in voting can't be trusted on a national basis. To me, that's the minimum. And then maybe John Roberts cobbles together five or six judges on the court to say, but it wasn't enough to overturn things because I don't want my suburban brownstone in D.C. lit on fire by the BLM mobs. All right. To me, that that's that's what that's the worst case scenario that's going to happen is that the the Supreme Court is going to acknowledge some form of abnormality, irregularity if it doesn't use the actual word fraud took place but then tries to split the baby in half and say but it wasn't enough to actually overturn the election the problem they're going to have getting to that verdict though is pennsylvania law is very clear that every ballot has to be observable and there's approaching 700,000 ballots right now that the trump campaign is claiming republicans were never given the option to observe during the ballot counting process
That is a very specific allegation, Jesse. Meaning that this isn't, you know, the Trump versus media war and who's gaslighting who and guys like you and I are trying to figure out the chicanery meter and what the what the handicap is on what the truth is in the middle. That's a very specific allegation. Either those those votes are invalidated according to Pennsylvania law or they are not. And so John Roberts, you know, we saw him change the the, the definition of state exchange a few years ago. He's got uh, he's got an even uh, bigger goose, I think, to, to to cook here because there's some very specific allegations being made. Yeah, but the the ultimate problem with everything, especially everything you just said, Steve, is who has the balls to actually enforce it? Let's say that turns out to be true, because it looks like what you just said is true. 700,000, that's quite an accusation. We can't observe them. We weren't allowed to observe them. You all, I mean, you pretty much have to toss those out. But who's going to actually enforce it? Does anybody have the balls to throw someone in jail over it? Does anybody have the balls to throw someone in jail over mixing up the ballots they weren't supposed to mix in? They were told not to mix in, and then they mixed them in anyway. Because here's what we've seen. We've seen four years of Democrats in such control of DA offices, Secretary of State, and so on, that it doesn't matter what the law says. You can loot and burn down a building in St. Louis, and the local DA is going to spring you from jail without so much of a charge. You defend yourself in Kenosha with Wisconsin on behalf of the right, you're go, you're facing a murder one beef. The law is now whatever the left says it is because they're in such control locally. I mean, people can quote these laws all day long. This was illegal. That was illegal. Uh, we had an illegal investigation into Trump's campaign in 2016. My watch says November 12th, and I still don't have a single person rotting in a federal prison for that. Mm-hmm. So pardon me if I don't have a lot of faith in the justice system. Now you're you're articulating a point I've tried to stress with our audience a lot the last few years, that we're not a nation of laws and we never have been. We are a nation of political will and we always will be. That's what you get with self-government. All right, that, that's what, that goes back to that, that, that curbside legend with Ben Franklin, the day of the Constitutional Convention was ratified. A republic if you can keep it. What are you and I willing to do? I mean, you can put all the laws on the books you want, and you can, you can make, have all the process arguments you want. But if you don't have the will uh, to carry those things out, and put up with the blowback of doing so, then it's it's a blog, it, it's a it's a Facebook status. It has no effect effect of law whatsoever. That's a, I love when you say that. But of all the great things you say, Steve, that's my favorite because it's so right. There's no more you know self delusion in this world. Like people tell themselves this lie about we're a nation of laws and justice is blind because people want to want to believe that there's some kind of law and order out there. There's something out there that can keep the wolves away so they don't have to. And the truth is, it has always been this way in the world. Uh, Pompey Magnus, that great Roman general, people remember when he was busy slapping people around. Somebody was quoting. Uh, the law to him on why what he was doing was illegal. And he had my favorite quote of all time. He said, you do not quote laws to men with swords. <laughs> and that's what this comes down to. Who's willing to send people to jail and who's not? I'll say it again. We have on videotape a 17-year-old kid defending himself in Kenosha. We have it on videotape and he's rotting in prison right now facing a life sentence. We have multiple people across this nation guilty on videotape. We know they're guilty of looting and burning down buildings, they will never face a day in court. They will never even be charged with even a misdemeanor. That's because they are the enforcement arm of the law. The left, the they control the entire system, including our DOJ, including our useless FBI. So I have no faith whatsoever that this is going to work out. None. Hmm. 
Well, you said something I liked recently. Uh, you tweeted this out. That's that was the main reason we wanted to talk to you today, because there's a broader this it applies to what we were just discussing. There's a broader principle at play, regardless of whether Joe Biden is ever certified president or Donald Trump gets another term. There is a notion out there that one side gets to say and do whatever it wants to the other side with impunity, with no blowback whatsoever. But our job is to be nicer than God, keep quiet, and just kind of put up with it. And if we don't, um, then, you know, um, uh, we're terrible people. Uh, you see the pressure right now. There, there's the National Review crowd. Well, we got to move on, blah, blah, move on. Move on to what? What, what, move, what are we moving on to? The next lockdown? I mean, what, what is the moving, what are we moving on to? And I, and, and I think you made a very good point about this recently, that our willingness, um, our, our self-editing to, to remain quiet, um, we have we have zero chance of avoiding a complete collapse culturally or maybe a civil war uh, as long as we continue to do that. It's a fact. It's a fact. I can't tell you how many people leading up to this election and since the election have told me Republican voters, Trump voters have told me uh, they, they weren't being malicious about it. Well, I mean, I guess if Biden wins, at least things will quiet down. And I was hearing this so often and it re- it drove it home to me. Our side just wants things to quiet down. We just want to live a quiet life. I just want to be left alone. I just want things to quiet down. And that's fine. Look, I want to live a quiet life too. But when you're facing a religion of domination, which is what leftism is, Mm -hmm. there is no quiet down until they're defeated. Either you are agreeing to be their servant or life doesn't get quiet. And it's hard to sell that to people that you have to fight all the time every single day because they are. But that's where we are. But the Republican side, especially the GOP pundit side, especially the ones who live, work, and worship in the D.C. area, they love to lose. People say losing is hard. There's nothing easier than losing because there's no expectation of performance. Mm -hmm. These guys are dying to lose and then whine about it with another 2,000-word article the next day. What's hard is winning and actually accomplishing things because then you're held accountable for something. These guys are praying they can just whine about Joe Biden for four years instead of digging in right now and actually finding out if he's legitimate. Our side loves it. We better change that mentality or we're screwed. Now, I have good news for you on that front, though. Uh, I bring you glad tidings of great joy this morning. The, the, the emerging crest on the left hates our desire for normalcy more than anything else. That's why they want to invade your sporting events. You can't even you, you can't just grab a beer and watch a game on TV anymore. You got to be preached at. That's why they're showing up when you're at a sidewalk cafe out with your wife for dinner. That's why they're combing your cul-de-sac. They hate that thing. Because I think there's a lot of lefties that are from another generation that love talking about this stuff, but it's really just to get power and control over us. And then ultimately, they like to enjoy the fruits of Americana too. They just want the checks going to their people instead of us. But this new strain is different. These are stained glass window smashers. These are iconoclasts. These are deconstructionists. They they want the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks fighting out in St. Petersburg Square. They want to Weimar Republic this place. And they, they loathe and disdain the normalcy that we crave. They want to be up in our faces. They're Jehovah's Witnesses times Lyndon LaRouche supporters with to the 35th power. It's what they want. So they're gonna they're gonna drag us out 
of our spider holes, brother, because they won't let us just sit in our homes and educate our kids away from their system. They don't want that. Okay. They want, they, they're a pestilence. They want to be in your face. And so they're not going to let us retreat back to our Pleasant Valley Sundays again. No, they won't. But the problem is, Steve, is they're the future of the Democratic Party. I mean, look, there's already rumors out there that Nancy Pelosi doesn't have the votes to be Speaker of the House. And we don't talk about these things because they get uncomfortable. But Father Time doesn't lie. The truth is, in the relative, I'm not wishing for this, but Nancy Pelosi's going to die soon. Joe Biden's going to die soon. The aging, more moderate, more centrist Democrats, I can't believe I'm saying that about Nancy Pelosi, but she's at least more pragmatic. Mm -hmm. They're old. They're old and Father Time's undefeated. These radical nut jobs like AOC, it's fun to make fun of her because she has an IQ of of a bed slipper. But AOC's the future. AOC's in her 30s. The young radicals who want people to be active and, like you said, in your face, they're the future of the party. That The future is what we're seeing now. The future is street radicalism, and we have got to change our mentality, or we're going to have to lay down and take it. Great stuff, my friend. Thanks for joining us again, as always. All right, best to you. Let our audience know how they can find you, Jesse, when you're not you getting banned. You can find me. Uh, you can find my show. My show is called I'm Right on the First, or my nationally syndicated radio show is called The Jesse Kelly Show. Catch it every day. All right, thank you, man. Take care, brother. See Bye-bye. Hey, what does COVID-19 have to do with potentially losing your home? Well, it turns out it could be a lot. The feds are saying that cybercrime's gone up 75% this year because we're more exposed online with our personal info than ever before. And now that's where a lot of your home titles are kept as well. It's called home title fraud, theft. Uh, cyber criminals go online where they find your home's title. They put their, your signature on a quick claim deed and then refile as the new owner of your home. And before you know it, you're off your home's deed. Uh, But thankfully, you've got Home Title Lock to put a virtual barrier around your home to make sure that doesn't happen to you. And the moment they detect anything nefarious happening with your home's title, they will mobilize to shut it down. But first things first, go over to HomeTitleLock.com, register your address to see if you're already a victim at HomeTitleLock.com, and then use the code RADIO for 30 free days of protection. The code RADIO for 30 free days of protection when you go to HomeTitleLock.com code radio at home title Todd Aaron any thoughts on the conversation we just had with Jesse Kelly uh, you know it's listening to you guys talk it's like the first chapter of Ellie Wiesel's night I mean the the rumors were coming in and of these fantastical grotesque stories of what were happened to Jews but they're just so unbelievable you know and right up until the time they were loaded up into the trailers they were believing couldn't possibly be true that, because something like this couldn't happen in in our day we we couldn't have not couldn't have missed it or not been aware of it or ignored it right but we are absolutely i'm sorry nazi analogies increasingly are becoming apropos it's it's just the what well, what well, instead of dealing with it we'd rather just pretend this kind of radical evil can is just not possible no, it doesn't matter how many lessons of history we have. We would just rather believe it's not possible. We'll come back and we'll get into Theology Thursday. And we'll take a look at the, the mastermind behind everything that we're talking about right now. Next here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast.
Greetings, back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre and all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Over on Parlor at Steve Dace. And check out our new YouTube channel as well at youtube.com slash Steve Dace. In a moment, we're going to be getting into a nefarious plot for Theology Thursday. A good reminder, the sequel book comes out on December the 15th, A Nefarious Carol. Get your pre-order today over at amazon.com for A Nefarious Carol. Also coming up at the bottom of the hour... Uh, we'll play our weekly game of three non-political questions. Maybe you don't need a break. I do. I have been knee-deep in this now for weeks. Uh, I'm looking forward to a vacation next week. Um, so I'm going to take one a bit uh, for a few minutes on the show with three non-political questions coming your way at the bottom of the hour. This portion of the show brought to you by our friends over at ScoreMaster. You know, the average American has almost 100 points that they could potentially add to their credit score but has no idea. Uh, how to acquire those. And that's where ScoreMaster comes in. They don't want to just raise your credit score a few points. The average ScoreMaster user can raise their credit score about 60 points in about three weeks, which makes a huge difference. Uh, It can make the difference in getting approved for that mortgage, car, business loan, or if you can get approved, what kind of terms can you get on that loan? What kind of a rate can you get on that loan? That makes a big difference. A lot of employers are looking at credit scores and in, 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 in their profiling of job applicants these days too. So that's where Credit ScoreMaster comes in. They put your credit report in your hands to help you clearly understand why you have the score you have So you're empowered with that information instead of the banks, and then they help you to chart a path for you to know what you need to do to get to the score that you want and how long it may take. You can enroll in minutes, see how many plus points that ScoreMaster can add to your score today when you visit scoremaster.com slash Steve. Again, that's scoremaster.com slash Steve. And let's get to Theology Thursday as we continue our look at my 2016 book, A Nefarious Plot, which sadly turned out to be largely a roadmap of where we are as a people right now. And for those of you that are new to this conversation, this book is written, air quotes, by a demon general from hell named Lord Nefarious, who was uh, who was told, ordered by the devil himself to come up with a plan and implement it to take down America so it would get out of the devil's way because it's been standing in his way for far too long. And now Lord Nefarious is so confident that his plan has been successful and is irrevocable that in order to prove prove it so to his master, the devil, he's going to put it all in writing, connect every dot, walk us through every step, even name names of whom and what he's used in order to infiltrate and implode America. And the fact that we will ignore it or that we won't do anything about it will be the proof to his master, the devil, that the plan has been successful. And this week, uh, he continues walking us through the individual stages of his plan. And this week, he wants to talk about debt. And it's not an accident that he wants to talk about debt immediately after last week's chapter. Excuse me, two weeks ago, because we took a... uh, uh, election is chaos break. Uh, so two weeks ago, we talked about decadence. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you don't flat out say uh, as much, but I'm going to paraphrase what, the, the connecting uh, the dots. You lay out the size of the debt in painstaking detail. As of four years ago. Yes, as yeah, of four I years mean, ago. Uh, I mean, the, this presidency has been, I think, the biggest spender in the history like the previous presidency under Obama was, mm-hmm. the previous presidency under George W. Bush was. I mean, this has been the trend for for decades now in America. So this was these were the numbers when I when this mm-hmm. book was written, really in 2015, but published in 2016. Yeah. And you put it into context in ways that people can understand, because at some point numbers are so large you can't relate to you. You break them right. down in ways that you can tangibly. I don't even know how many zeros, trillions, yeah, exactly. and quadrillions are right. But the reason debt comes after decadence is this remember he's got to have we talked about the what the plan has the qualities of the plan several weeks ago so that it's kind of on autopilot and it's not continually needing to be artificially manipulated mm-hmm. well debt comes after uh a decadence because look at, 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 at humans have embraced this lie this is the autopilot steve is talking about uh, how many times have you heard somebody say that they are socially liberal, decadent, yet economically conservative? Mm-hmm. That's what once, and that's what I want you to uh, comment on. Once, that's what he's talking about. Something on autopilot. He he fundamentally believed human beings in their heart could ultimately believe that, and by believing that, you lay out they they are go, they are going against in their heart of hearts natural law mm-hmm. tell us why because there, there's a reason why decadence has until recently in in human history that decadence was considered um a, a luxury well as scott atlas described the lockdowns recently a luxury of the rich mm-hmm. that you know go back to the book of ruth in the bible and so there's a there's a great scene that in the culmination of the book of Ruth, where Ruth's kinsman redeemer, meaning according to the law, he was the next of kin of of to, to, within her brother his brother's clan to marry his widow, so that she didn't end up destitute, or, or the children that she may have had. You know that was what the purpose of the kinsman redeemer law. It was it was their form of a a social safety net. All right. Um, she wouldn't have to turn to prostitution or end up destitute, and the children would not be sold out as slaves, etc., to maintain the integrity of the of the Jewish covenant to help maintain it. And so, if if the if the father died, the next male in of age in line would then step in and do his duty to care for the less fortunate, for the widow, and for the children, if there were any. And there's a scene that takes place at the city gate between Boaz and Ruth's kinsman redeemer, and. He says to her, or he says to the kinsman redeemer, um, who, if you, and if you if you go back and read that exchange, it's obvious that the kinsman redeemer is not interested in the spirit, in fulfilling the spirit of the of, of the law. He's, he's he's this is a this is transactional to him. He doesn't care about this woman. He wants to know what's in it for him. Okay, um, and the way that Boaz presents the case. Everything he tells him is true. He just frames it in a very shrewd way because he loves the woman and wants to marry her. But he's got to talk this guy off of his obligation. So he says, hey, you know, she comes with a mother-in-law. 
Okay, right. I mean, he throws in some things that are true, but they're maybe not the fullest context. Okay, and and the Lord blesses Boaz, Boaz's shrewdness, because the motivation for Boaz is to love this woman, to cherish her, not to acquire her purely as the kinsman redeemer wants right doesn't jesus says to the to the to the to the pharisees right you guys followed the letter of the law but you didn't fulfill the spirit of it right right that's going on here between boaz and the kinsman redeemer in the book of ruth and so the lord blesses boaz's shrewdness when he talks the kinsman redeemer off his obligation by putting the son that they have together in the line of the messiah now why do i bring that up in the context of of your conversation because decadence wasn't wasn't something that could be afforded. I can't afford all these wives and mistresses and concubines. I can barely understand there was no middle class in, in the human in human history didn't have a middle class until post industrial revolution, post World War One, Western civilization created the thing called the teenager, the middle class, the idea that you could go work in a factory there were there, there, and, and, and make a nice living without, without a trained skill or a, the creation of a product or the ownership of property, that I could go there and do that and make a living and, and my family could be better off and I can own a home. Right? What we've known as a middle class didn't exist really in this world prior to post-industrial revolution America. And then it was culminated in the 20th century, post-World War I. So the idea that your teenagers in the 20s, you had the Roaring Twenties and the Flappers, right? The idea, that, would, that was kind of your first rebellious generation of American teenagers in our history. It wasn't like they were just um, less morally restrained than the teenagers of the 1840s. No. It's that there was a level of wealth that had filtered down into their class of society that they could afford to gamble on. Hey, I might get pregnant. You know what I'm saying? They could afford to gamble on things, um, because, or at least they thought that they could, that they could afford to gamble within certain decadent areas because they could pay for the societal cost if if the natural law bit them in the rear end. And that's where decadence has been historically found within human societies of any belief system among the wealth among the wealthy one they they get bored and then two i i can afford i can pay the for the freight here i can pay the toll for this i can make this go away or absorb the cost of a bastard son blah 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 okay the other the working classes the 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 serf classes the slave classes could not afford such things and often marriages were contracts more than covenants, like with dowries and things of that nature. How do I, how do I, I can't afford this now adult, adult level woman in my home. I can barely, I can't feed her. All right. Uh, I got to get, marry her off. And then how do I get something in return for the investment I paid into her by feeding her before she became of age all these years in my home, right? That's kind of what a dowry is. How do I improve my station as a man with marriage? We eliminated almost all of those conversations with our with the creation of our middle class and then our wealth in the West. But that still doesn't speak to how 
we the decadence made its way down into the more impoverished classes. Because typically, the poorer you were, the more morally upright and think there's a reason Jesus said it's easier for a rich man to for the camel to pass through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. When I don't have anything to gain, I'm not. I, I, it's really see you don't tell a lot by somebody's character by where they're at when they're down. You find out where their character is really at by when they think they're in control, and they've they've won life's lottery. But we created something now where where even even the poorest among us. That classic case in in the book of Christmas Carol, where they don't have any money and they're and they're eating the small bird, but they have each other, right? The the tiny Tim, God bless us everyone, and the Cratchit family, they have one another. They don't have much. They live in a humble abode, but they have each other and they have their faith, right? You know what I'm saying? Unless I create a welfare state, and so you can let your free flag fly now too in the poor classes. We'll pay. We'll, 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 we, someone else will pay for your poor choices someone else will pay for your mistakes pay for your abortion pay for your welfare pay for your four kids by you know uh, five baby daddies or the other way around i think my math was wrong see what i'm saying that's why these two things had to go together because ultimately you may want to let your freak flag fly too but if i can't pay the freight that and the option's not available to me i'm not tempted I'm not tempted by something I cannot access. I'm tempted by the things I can. And what what Nefarious is explaining in this chapter is that the source of your debt, your debt is not a, a, is not simply a formula. It's not an algorithm or an equation of you spent more too much money than 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 you took in and that's why you're in debt. No, Nefarious is explaining our debt is much more meaningful than that. As the Beatles once said, it's a ticket to ride. The source of our debt isn't digging out of some massive calamity. It's not even the military. The major expenses every year in your your debt are what are called entitlements. Meaning I am entitled to things that belong to somebody else. I am entitled for you to work for my retirement, for you to work for my health care. But not in, in a way that says, hey, I have a personal responsibility to, to make healthy choices. And then you have a response, you who are healthy and well off have a responsibility to take care of the infirmed. That's that's the way that it's worked within the church. No, I can make any life choices I want whatsoever. And then if they blow up in my face, then now we have taken covetousness and turned it into a public policy. And it's not my responsibility to, I don't have to face the consequences for my poor choices. Instead, you face the consequences for your righteous choices. And you subsidize the poor choices that I have made. You cover my losses. It's flipped it on its ear. And so now, usually the wealthier you, you, the, the wealthier up the strata you went in a society, the more decadent they were. What you've seen now in our society is it, it's more and more the opposite is true. And you see it from our friend Bradley Whitford, or is it Wilcox, over at the Marriage yeah. Project, who points out that the wealthiest people are voting Democrat. They also have the lowest divorce rates, meaning they are actively promoting values that they themselves are not living. 
go get a good education. Don't be a thug. You know, stay married to the same person the entire time. While they are out there propagating and funding and perpetuating the opposite of those values. And now what you're seeing in our society is it tends to actually be the poorer you go, the more decadent we are. Pornhub is free, quote unquote. I, I can access all of this without any real cost out of my own pocket. And then if I act out in a way that, that does come with the cost, you're going to subsidize that for me. I mean, it, it is entirely possible that Mitt Romney never became president. I'd like to think I had something to do with that. Okay? <laughs> but if I did not, Sandra Fluck certainly did. And what was her entire argument? That you have to pay for my birth control. I mean, what are rubbers? What, are, what do condoms cost at a store? Why, why do I have to pay for you to have, um, uh, to have casual recreational sex? Why do I have to do that? Because she said so. And she represents a powerful political constituency. That's what this is about. Your debt is not merely you spent more than you brought in. We had the highest tax revenues in American history in the Reagan years, and we still ran all-time record deficits. No. What Nefarious is saying is that debt is symbolic of something. It, it's not just that that you, you, you built up a war machine to take out the Soviet Union. No, there's much more going on here. That debt is symbolic of the fact that you have bought into my, Nefarious says, you have bought into my social compact. It's, it's the great rant that Al Pacino goes on at the end of, of The Devil's Advocate where he outs himself that he is Satan. Nobody's guilty of anything. It's what Jesse Kelly was just talking about. Nobody's guilty of anything. Nobody's accountable for anything. Nobody pays the price for anything. And everything is subsidized. Everybody's in on the welfare state. Treason never prospers. What's the reason? Because whenever treason prospers, none will dare call it treason. And the welfare state is the most treasonous thing that's ever been created in a human society. Now we all have an incentive to have our hand out for something. For something. And that's what Nefarious is talking about. So again, this is all in defiance of natural law. I love that this is not simply a how to make the trains run on tide argument, or even though Milton Freeman is ultimately making an argument, a, a moral argument, uh, it's, 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 it, this goes way beyond just a, 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 a nice spreadsheet or something like that. This is mm-hmm. ultimately about the fundamentals about how mankind works. It's what, you know, the 10 commandments don't do these things because that's it, it you can't possibly function as a healthy machine if you do that. The same here, you quote this as it regards to that. You keep using government to do things that natural law does not permit it to do. You right there are making a subsidiary argument. You know that's my jam. And you actually break this down into what you call four spheres. And I want you to comment on them in whatever way, Warshak, Black Test, you think to see why they're relevant. And why are they, are they self-evident? Mm-hmm. Self, family, church and states slash government Mm -hmm. expand on all four. This is, this is traditional um, post-reformation Christian hermeneutics on civics is that there are four spheres. Okay. Uh, And, and, and 
that each are given their own divine jurisdiction authorities. Okay. Um, and, and the family, the church, the state, and the individual. And they, that they are, they are not equal in station, but they are in value, similar to how men and women are not equal in station. They have um, different roles, responsibilities, characteristics, but they're equal in inherent value. All four of these spheres are not equal in station. They have different characteristics and tasks and jurisdictions, but they are equal in value and then accountability before God. And when you violate those four things, and at any one of the four, you get tyranny. When you violate more than one of them, you get totalitarian authoritarianism. Um, and that is what Nefarious is talking about here, is that we have scrubbed, we have, it, it, we didn't, we didn't blur the moral lines and then we did this. We did this and then we blurred or, or no, it's the other way around. We didn't do this and then blur the moral lines because we wanted to blur the moral lines. We did this because if we if 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 we still honored that those spheres of authority and then acted out in ways that cost us financially, we'd have to pay the freight for that ourselves. We'd have to assume assume that law. We have to we'd have to absorb that loss. I don't want to do that, right? Right. And so I need to create a system retroactively ex post facto that says I can pass that cost on to somebody else. I can, I can pass that fling with the babysitter on to Planned Parenthood. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I get, and, and then I pass the cost of getting rid of that, of the byproduct of that fling. I pass it on to you, the taxpayer. That there's always, there's always a way for us to pass the buck to avoid responsibility and accountability. And, and, and those spheres are put into place so that we can't do that. God is not an, a, a, God is a God of order, the scriptures say, not of chaos. And so those so spheres are put into place so there would be an, a, a, a hierarchy, an order, a, a chain of command. And now we have blurred all of those. A lot of our churches, frankly, just want to build bigger and bigger and bigger buildings and really not get their hands dirty. In the parts of their of their want to stay out there in the suburbs and not get their hands dirty with some of the messy things going on in the inner city, so they could they can just justify that by well you know the government's doing that. I don't have to build those relationships, and we can play this with all the sphere authority, and then it creates a vicious cycle. Well, since the my, since the since the church is not really involved relationally. In, in most cities with one another, there's like a massive, there's a giant wall between the church in the inner city and the church in the suburbs. And so since the, the church that has a lot often really isn't involved in helping the church that doesn't, that is needy, then we just go to the government. And then the government says, well, here's what you've got to do, church that's needy and church community that's needy. Here's what you've got to do and who you have to vote for and what you can and cannot say in order to get that money you want. And then I got to keep my doors open. I've got hungry mouths to feed, so we just won't talk and, uh, and mention. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then this 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 becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. It's a it becomes a demonic feedback loop with each one of these spheres out of its jurisdiction, not honoring the jurisdiction it has, playing in the playing in the sandbox of the other, and then they just sit around and just cross pollinate the feces on one another, and you have chaos. Which is can't stress this point enough. What hell wants more than anything else is chaos because chaos is destructive in every form. There is no form of constructive chaos. None. 
Chaos in every form is destructive. And so anything that creates, hell is not immoral. It is amoral. Immorality at least still produces a debate then. For we can't know if something is immoral before we first define what? What is moral, Mm -hmm. right? So if we're debating what is immoral or not, we're really still debating what's moral or not, right? Sure. What hell wants is amorality. The absence of any of these standards. The absence of the recognition of any of them. So that you have utter and complete chaos incarnate. That's what they want. Time of the judges. Every day. 24-7. In those days, everyone did what was wise in their own eyes. That is what hell wants. 24-7, 365. Well, I can't stress enough. We've talked about it. If you want to read further about this particular chapter, uh, Steve's laying out the tragedy of American compassion by Marvin Olansky. I mean, I absolutely have to read this. Uh, You go on to point out the obvious in terms of the numbers of our current budget. Well, four years ago, our current budget. At that time, you said uh, 29% of the budget is uh, discretionary. And 55% of that is the, is the military, mm-hmm. a, a classic expectation of any nation mm-hmm. uh, worth having. As you said, that one of the primary uh, of modes of uh, proper modes of government is the avenging angel. Mm-hmm. So the rest is discretionary, thing, uh, which is neither it's, it's not constitutional. It, it's, it's simply what it because is. Because I want it. Yeah. 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 But the, uh, so that leaves 71%. That is entitlements. Which in and of themselves are discretionary. But we don't want that to be true. So just as meaning that it is not the government's role to provide for your retirement or to be. We have banks and institutions where you have, where you keep your money for a rainy day. Correct. Mm-hmm. All right. It is not the, the role of government. Juris, you got divine jurisdictional authority to be your savings and loan. Nor is it the role of government to determine how to educate your kids or to make sure that that happens. Nor is it the role of government to provide you a healthcare plan. Were we able to do these things as for ourselves as a society before government came along? Yes. Yes. This. Yeah. Now, were we able to adequately defend ourselves from foreign invasion before government came along? No. Were we able to adequately enforce criminal laws in ways that didn't encourage vigilantism or chaos without government. No. See, see where I'm going with mm-hmm. this. Okay. So there's, there's clear areas where there, where is it? There is a clear divine role for government. And then there are clear areas where there are not. Well, we transgendered our budget before we did it to our own gender. We yes. took this stuff that is yes. totally discretionary and called it the entitlements that we have to spend. We flipped it on the script. We transgendered the budget. We took the stuff that we're not supposed to be spending money on, that we don't have to, and said that that's the stuff that we actually do have to spend and the money on. And this is the crucial point, because this is what this debt has done. Why well, I put a number on it. But ultimately, this is deeply the- theological. When 71% of the government is redefining what it means to be charitable mm-hmm. as, an, as an obligation, you are actually redefining love itself yes you are that's the point you make in your chapter which is if god is love 
the ultimate object of the devil is to redefine his essence yes. and he's succeeding. Yeah, yes. When when if when I get charity from the state, I'm I'm a bone thugs and harmony song. I'm doing first first of the month. I'm going out to my mailbox and I'm pledging that I'm I'm I am I am thanking the state. And then I believe I'm entitled to vote for more people that will give me more of what does not belong to me. As opposed to uh from the book of Acts. When Peter and John are at the temple and they say to the lame man, money we have not to give you, but this we do in the name of, in the name, in the, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And when that beggar, that lame beggar gets up and walks, whom is he gratified to? Whom is he thankful to? The Lord Jesus Christ. His Jehovah Jireh, his provider. What we have done is taken that glory away from our creator and given it to ourselves. That, that's what we have done. And we know it too. And we know it's wrong. That's why in the, in the Obama administration, when we had an all-time record amount of people on food stamps, they didn't have a Rose Garden press conference congratulating themselves for all this compassion, for being the most charitable and compassionate people of all time. Because in our heart of hearts, we know, we know this is wrong. But in our heart of hearts, we want to do what is wrong anyway. Because human nature is not basically good. It's the opposite of that, actually. More in a moment. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show. Uh, when you look at the world today, obviously things are looking crazier and crazier. You know, this time last year, if I would have logged on here, opened up a show and said, guys, go out and buy all the toilet paper and hand sanitizer you can because soon it will be gone. You'd have told me I was nuts. All right. We were having our greatest economic growth in 20 years. Right. Right. And then that actually happened. So I may sound nuts telling you right now, hey, go out there and make sure you've got an emergency supply of essentials because the next time this goes down it won't be it won't be tp for the bunghole uh or the uh the the hands the hand, you know the hand cleaner it's going to be the stuff you really care about food water maybe it sounds nuts but i would have sounded nuts sounding the alarm about the toilet paper uh at this time last year too what i have not mm-hmm. that is where my patriot supply comes in um, you can personally use and trust them for your emergency food preparedness plan. You can save right now $100 off a full four-week supply of nutritious meals. What do we, what do we mean by that? They each contain the full 2,000 calories a day required or recommended uh, by, um, by your doctor so that if indeed crazy stuff goes down, you've got the peace of mind to know you are prepared, all right? $100 and possible savings to pass up for some peace of mind right now when you go to preparewithdace.com. Again, go to the website, preparewithdace. That's my last name. Preparewithdace.com. Again, save 100 bucks over at preparewithdace.com. Let's get to three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. 
some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on The Steve Day Show. Yes, we need a little escape from the demise of Western civilization. Voter fraud, you know, trivial stuff like that with, you know, only the fate of the country on the line. But let's escape nonetheless. Three non-political questions. Question number one, what is the most overrated and underrated movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Hmm. Having just watched these all again, um, I would say the most overrated is Iron Man 3 because the movie did make like $400 million and it's, it's not good. Uh, in fact, it's offensive. So I would say Iron Man 3 is the most overrated. And for underrated, there's there's several choices I could use. But I'm going to give the first Ant-Man movie some some run. Because it is one of it, it 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 could be the most cleverly written script of the entire MCU. It's slick, it's funny, it's fast, and the handicap here Meaning that you had to, you're going with a character that most people have no idea who that is, have no idea, and and even fewer people probably knew who the Guardians of the Galaxy were. I mean, I I grew up a fan of all this stuff and read all of it as a kid, and I barely knew anything about the Guardians of the Galaxy. But 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 there's there's outer space. You have more creative freedom to kind of conjure things up, and it's an ensemble story. Meaning that you put that cast together, it, it, it gives you more margin for error to come up with something good, right? I mean, when you got John Riley in a supporting role, Glenn Close in a supporting role, the, the, the strength of the cast of that film gave them more margin for error to come up with something compelling for a, a group of characters that many people had never heard of, including a lot of Marvel fans. Ant-Man, to me, didn't have that. Um, I mean, Michael Douglas is in the film, but that's the first time many of us have seen Michael Douglas in a movie that mattered in how many years, right? Uh, Even even the cameo, he didn't even get an A-list cameo in the movie. He got um, the Falcon. You know what I'm saying? So there wasn't even like a... Iron Man to help the, the 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 first Spider-Man movie. They didn't even bring like, like an A-list. Doctor Strange got Thor. There was no A-list cameo. You got Captain America's sidekick. And to pull all of that off as well as they did in the first in that first movie. The second movie is not good. But the first movie is so entertaining. It, the pace is so fast. The, the dialogue is so good that I think it's the most underrated movie. The first Ant-Man movie. Uh, overrated would be the... Um, it's not terrible or anything. About it. The, the, the final Thor. What was it? Oh, Ragnarok. Oh, I love Ragnarok. It's, I cannot believe you're saying that's overrated. So yeah, I that think, was I, kind of on my I list. I think Ragnarok well. is a friggin' masterpiece, uh, man. It's too campy. They went 
they were too dour with number two, which is why that movie was just forgettable. Yeah. They went way too far in the other direction. It's, wow. it's too campy. Wow. I, I think that movie is tremendous. Okay. Uh, so that's overrated. Underrated, I've kind of got two. One, I, I don't think any, I mean, no one thinks it's a mediocre movie, but whenever you actually talk about the Avengers movies, I think the one that consistently people say is, it's not the worst, but not as good age of Ultron age of Ultron. I I totally disagree. I think age of Ultron is just fantastic and it doesn't take second place to, I mean, it's of course you got the grandiosity of, uh, of, of the final two, but I just, in terms of what it was seeking to, I don't think it misses a beat from the first, uh, Avengers. It's just outstanding. And actually I think it's, if there's one that's, I mean, it's got huge highlights, but I, I actually think, um, and it's not a, it's Captain America Civil War, which is that to me that's more of an Avengers movie than a Captain America yeah, movie. It is Aven- it is Avengers uh two point five, yeah. basically which I, is what of Civil War is. Of course yeah. is great as well. I actually think that has the most like there's some moments, some inconsistencies where it just it emotionally doesn't carry all the way through. So, anyways, that's but uh, the other one, and this is what again, listen, I fully expected to hate it because of the actress, but Captain Marvel is underrated. It came, you know, late in the game and fitting that piece in, but I think it's a really good movie. Yeah, I think it was that great. Yeah, it's yeah. okay. I mean, I mean, by saying not great, it's a, it's not like it's terrible, but I don't think it was that great. I think overrated is Captain Marvel. I just thought it was, uh, I don't know, it it was annoying. I think it was kind of cheesy. I, what's her face is not a very good actress. I'm sorry, guys. She's just not a very good actress. I can't even remember her name. Uh, the main lady in that, in that one, uh, yeah, what is underrated her name? Totally forgot. Brie Larson, Brie, Brie Larson. Larson thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Underrated movie. It's the first guardians of the galaxy. I'd watched that a couple of times, but until you actually watch it in chronological order, yeah. all the movies, yeah. you don't realize how much that movie actually does to set up the, oh, I know. the, the, yeah. uh, Thanos right about plot that. line yep. and it's, and the, uh, infinity stones plot line. So that's yep. really cool. Uh, next question. I had something else, but Mike Brinson actually, uh, actually submitted one, uh, three non-political questions. What are your top three lost characters and why did you choose Desmond as number one? <laughs> I would not choose Desmond as number one. He'd be in my top three. Uh, but number one for me, and it would be number one with a bullet. He's one of my all-time favorite television characters in any show. Would be John Locke. John Locke is number one, uh, and then it's Space Spotter, Space Spotter, Space Bar. As far as I'm concerned, is John Locke is number one. I think I'd have Desmond third. <sighs> You know, I can't, no, I can't have Desmond in there. I love Desmond to death, but I'm at, I'm at the stage of the show rewatching it where Jack is annoying. Yeah. But then at the end, when his character becomes a true believer, it's phenomenal. The, and then the and, symmetry of that. Yes. Of the beginning, the very yes. beginning and the very end. Yes. It's insane. Yeah. And, and you have to have Ben. Yep. I He's mean, online. he has to be on the list. So compelling of a villain that there is a quasi redemption of at the very end so gosh man i love sawyer though too yeah, sawyer's i mean sawyer has a similar arc to jack actually um where he then becomes really earnest you know uh the, this is hard actually yeah. I, I mean i love hurley to death it's mm-hmm. hard um 
Kate's pretty annoying, actually, watching it again. I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, she's I hot, look. but she's pretty annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of like Juliet more than I like Kate. But um, I'm going to go. I, I have to have Ben in there. I have to have Locke in there. Really tough to pick between Jack and Sawyer, but I guess I'll go with Jack since he technically sacrificed himself for everybody at the end, right? So, spoiler alert for a show that's 10 years old. Jack, Locke, and Sawyer. That's a great list. I mean, I, I was really torn on the Sawyer thing. For me, it's Benjamin Linus. It's, that's, that's Ben. That's yeah. the Ben I was referencing. Yeah, Ben, um, Sawyer, and Kate. Those are my top three in no particular order. Question three, what would be the best case scenario for humanity if intelligent life elsewhere in the universe visits us? I'm going to let Todd answer this question first. The best case? Mm-hmm. Why are you? This is, you've thought about this a hundred times over. I don't even believe it exists. <laughs> uh, uh, they've read L. Ron Hubbard and our Scientologists. That's the best case scenario? Cause, cause isn't, that, isn't that the Scientologist story? I don't know. I believe that it is. I believe that is the Scientologist story. That I, I think the Scientologist story is actually very similar to um, uh, who's the filmmaker that did like the alien movies? Very famous filmmaker whose name escapes me. And he tried to bring them back recently. Uh, what did Ron say in my ear? No, it wasn't, it wasn't Steven Spielberg. I'd remember that. It, it, um, I can't remember the name of the filmmaker who did the alien films, but he's tried to bring them back recently. Ridley Scott. Ridley yeah. Scott, thank you. And and in the new, in the updated ones that aren't as good, he basically retells the Scientologist story that there's a group of technicians, I think is what they're called, or engineers, engineers, that have seeded life and that we hail from them. Okay. That's a that's not the best case scenario, by the way. That's a joke. Okay. That's a joke. Um, I think the best case scenario is that they never make any form of formal contact. That is my serious answer. I think the best. Well, I think you're describing the best case scenario. A corporate, is that- a corporate formal contact that cannot be denied. That's what I well, mean. Talking- that that event never occurs. I think that would be the best case scenario. But I will tell you, you you watched that documentary, didn't you? I did. Yeah. What's yeah, it? we were supposed to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we and need then to get, this little election thing. Yeah, away. yeah. We need when the election is over and we get back to Pop Culture Tuesday. The election will never be over. <laughs> you need to watch. You can rent it now. By the way, you can rent it now. Okay, it's called the Phenomenon. This thing rocked my world. This documentary did. You need to watch it. Okay, it rocked my world, man. See, there's a, a clip from Bubba in there. Clinton, you know, Bill Clinton in there. That's probably available publicly. He comes out in the context of UFOs and aliens and says, essentially says, yeah, there's a deep state guys and they're going to, they, they know things that they will never even tell elected presidents. That was the part of yeah. the documentary towards the end. That was, I was like, that, that was the, that yeah, was see, the I'm going to get sidetracked yeah. and cause I, I could talk for hours about that documentary. I'm anxious to watch it again. Okay, we, we're gonna have to do more on this show about it, but I want I want I want Erzin to, to to talk about it first or to to watch it first. So we're gonna get your answer in a second while I talk one more time about rough grains because don't leave out the most important thing your pet needs. Yes, he needs to be loved on and cuddled and walked 
and taken to the groomer and all that other cool stuff. But they got to make sure they get the right nutrition too, because a lot of the food that you're buying at the store these days is stripped bare of all the stuff they really need. Just like a lot of our food is stripped bare too. That's why we have so many supplements these days. But thankfully, there's now a supplement for your dog, and it's called Rough Greens. Uh, it is a powder of supplements, vitamins, minerals, nutrients, pre, probiotics, etc. You mix it in uh, with the food that your dog already loves. They'll love it more because it tastes great. And now the stuff your dog needs the most is in their diet. You can try it right now. The Jumpstart Bag. For just $14.95 when you go to Rough Greens, that's R-U-F-F, roughgreens.com slash blaze, the jumpstart bag at roughgreens.com slash blaze. All right, so Todd, my answer to Aaron's question is best case scenario is they never, ever corporately, publicly visit us in a way that everyone has to acknowledge. That's, that is the best case scenario. What, what's your best case scenario? Well, I think isn't the best case scenario, the Roddenberry story like that the, the first al- contact story. The, well, the aliens are basically have the sensibility of the Federation. Like do we're just all wandering the, like Forrest Gump, basically we're just all wandering the earth on a breeze here. And, uh, and uh, life is like a box of chocolates, you know. I mean, most of this, that's that's a level of projection that, you know, are, it's kind of like white guilt. That's like human guilt. He had to project that basically there's a, a, this best selves. Do, they, do, they, do the aliens have guilt? Well, that's is what there I'm, alien guilt? Like if they, they did come here where they feel like they had to cure our cancer and stuff because they just had. Yeah, that's what I'm Because they saying. were getting worked they, over by their be, media. Like the, is there Alpha Centauri guilt? Like if they come here and like their media just is really woke and working them over. Hey, you bothered these biped primates in the middle of their evol- of their evolution, and and look what you did to these civilizations. You better start curing their diseases and everything else. All right, uh, they're they're low on the planetary intersectionality score, and so you got Alpha Centauri guilt, right? And they're just they're just letting us just pillage their treasury because they feel so yes. guilty for interrupting our evolutionary tract, which is the best case scenario and also impossible. So. <laughs> I think the best case scenario is is really simple, and I'm kind of shocked that neither one of you mentioned this. Uh, they come back in a way, uh, assuming it's in a way that nobody can deny actually happened. And the first thing out of the aliens' mouth, orifice, whatever they use to communicate is Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. And we'll tell you who did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll tell, exactly. you, we'll, we'll tell you who did. We'll tell you who killed Kennedy. Because yeah. we've been watching you all for quite a long time. We We've got... We've got some secrets to tell y'all, right? I like that. I kind of like that idea. Yep. They have the book of life, basically. Yeah. Or what if, like, they had a leader, and she was like this really hot chick. Give her a name like Diana, right? He caught her on camera, eating a live mouse once. I'll never forget that scene. Like my whole life. Do you remember that when we were kids? Oh, V. That's a Dude, that course. that. I don't even know what Twitter would have done in 1984. If, if, when Diana ate the mouse, it's hard to believe the, how big that was. Yeah, yeah. that was all we talked Wars about in big. school for like a month. Yeah. afterwards. Yeah. All right, we're done here. Uh, we're gonna stick around and do some overtime for our Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, back at it again tomorrow, noon to two Eastern, here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Until then, John three seventeen. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.